0: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and if you would keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 49, we're going to be spending our time there this morning. It's uh, it's actually one of my favorite Mother's Day passages, although initially you might miss what I've called this morning the call of Christian motherhood in that passage. But God willing, by the time we're done today, you will have seen the reality of your call, if you are a mother here this morning, we did have quite a few stand up when Pastor Sam called you to, you will see more clearly the call on your life as Christian mothers. And some here who are not mothers, which is the vast majority of the others of us, I know that this scripture will speak to us as well. And I just want to say, I notice a lot of kids, like adult kids who are here Obviously, like from out of state or from other places, you've chosen to be here today to honor your mom, so good for you. I am grateful to see people that I don't normally see, and you're here. So I just want this time to be a blessing to us all. And in order to do that, let's get into Isaiah 49. Um, The call of Christian motherhood, if we view it rightly, through the lens of scripture, we're going to learn that the Christian mom has a mission and it touches her love and it involves her family. And in these three words, we're going to walk through this text this morning. The call to you as a Christian mom, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are a mom here today, the call on your life is a call to submit yourself to the mission of god to the love of god and within the family of god so let's look first at the mission your mission in light of god's mission and this is the first encouragement to you and to everyone listening if you're not a mom here this morning don't check out the things that are in the scripture are valid and they are applied more pointedly to moms here this morning but to all of us, we can glean from the scripture what the Lord wants us to learn about our own mission. So the first point, view your mission in light of God's mission. And start with me by looking at verse four of Isaiah 49. It says there, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. And perhaps you might say, if we stop there that is a good summary of the daily experience of a mom i have spent my strength for nothing and vanity i have labored in vain perhaps your experience can feel that way after you run around all day trying to catch little kids at that stage of life you you change diapers you clean food off the floor, you unclog toilets, you do laundry, you sing, you play, you teach, and turn all around again and change another poopy diaper. And this is just how the schedule tends to go. And you might feel after those days, just repeat day after day, ah, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength in, for nothing and for vanity. Maybe, maybe it's the case that you have a teenager driving her to her activities, seeking to have tough conversations and basically getting nothing back, no responses. Uh, Maybe your attempts to relate to your son make you feel like you'd have more success talking to a brick wall. And all this to say, you conclude, I'm laboring in vain here. Nothing I'm doing seems to be working. Nothing I'm actually applying here seems to be helping. It just feels like it's in vain. Now, in light of those experiences, and thankfully, they're not not all the time, I do know that that tends to be something that each mom experiences sometimes. And I've been the source of that consternation to my own mom. I recognize it now. And now that I am a parent, I can kind of feel when difficulties come my way as a parent, or I see how they're directed towards my wife, right? We all kind of cause trouble And we're all a part of what gets wrapped up into those vain days and those difficult days. But what you might take away from this, moms, and everyone else, is this, that the person who first spoke these words was actually someone called the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord, as we find out throughout this passage, the rest of Isaiah, and Scripture as it applies back here, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ saying these words? I have labored in vain, and I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. Jesus reached a point in his earthly ministry when he looked out at the effect of his life and the effect of his ministry. And you think of that time when he was struck, where it says the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter As Jesus was tried, as he was persecuted, as he was taken to the cross, and as he hung there on the cross looking out with everyone abandoning him, it would have been a natural response for him to feel in the depths of his soul a discouragement that would tempt him to give up. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. We see that this servant that is is testified to here. It is Jesus, because who else would turn from that thought to the next thought in that couplet in verse four, where he says, Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. The one who is perfect does not give in to despair, but actually turns from that despair and places his circumstances solely back in the person and the work of God. Now, we are fallen and even redeemed as believers now. We still have those days when we are actually guilty of giving into despair and kind of wallowing in those days. When you don't feel like loving your kids, when your kids aren't loving you back, when you are really struggling to connect with them and it feels like you know it's just a mismatch you know what you're doing and what they're receiving just don't seem to be working together yet you should feel great camaraderie and comfort to know that the maker of the universe humbled himself such that he became a servant to us a servant to all. Servanthood is not something that is actually fun. Servanthood actually is a drain in many ways. But I can remember recently how my wife described to me when she had our first child, our son, and then as our daughters came along, it dawned on her that it was an opportunity for her to grow as a servant to identify with Jesus. Jesus, who humbled himself by bending down to wash dirty feet. Jesus, who walked with people through the difficulties of their lives and patiently listened. Jesus, who healed the broken. Jesus, who helped those who were in need. Jesus, who created everything, yet humbled himself to serve the least of these. To walk through those hallowed ground, that hallowed ground, and to feel what Jesus felt, is a unique privilege to a mom. Mothers know that servant-hearted call to belong to God first, and then to walk and to express that desire for their own children, her children, to walk in those ways of God. What encouraged the servant in his mission? If you look at verse five, as he waited on the Lord, the Lord says to him, he who formed, this is the servant speaking, verse five, if you will look there, Um, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, which by the way, is a great commentary on that stage of a mom's experience with a baby in her womb This servant says that from the womb, God had a purpose for him. That even before he was born, God signaled or singled him out. I get those words confused. Singled him out for particular service. And what a commentary on the sacred place of a mother's womb. This commentary continues as he says... He formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. No one else but Jesus can say that. The nation of Israel was supposed to be that light to the Gentile world, but they failed. And so as Jesus presents his mission now through the words, the prophetic words of Isaiah, He goes on to say in verse 6, this is what the Lord says to his servant. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Um, You may have watched that show that sometimes is on PBS that's called um, Antiques Roadshow. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, look it up sometime. It's a long running show. And it's interesting when people would take things to these expo centers and you know, the, the camera would go around and it would find people who were you know, talking with an expert. You know, they might find a button in their attic and take it there and think it's worth five cents, it might be worth 50. You know, what was amazing is that you know, one, it was at least one time, and if you can watch an episode like this, your jaw will drop because someone will take an old painting that they had in their attic that they might have bought for 50 bucks and they'll take it in and they'll find out that it's actually worth half a million dollars. Wouldn't that be awesome? Is to have some weird antique that's in your attic. I mean, it's been my dream to find something like that and to earn a quick half million dollars. But their question is always like, how much is it worth? How much is it worth? And I think sometimes... You know, we all ask that question when we're in the middle of difficult times. Like, how much is this worth? Is it worth this to keep doing this? You know, Jesus had that question. And God's response to him is, this is how much you're worth, Jesus. It's not enough that you reconcile the Jews back to me. I'm going to give you the nations. That's how much you're worth. That's what this is all about. And in viewing your mission as a mom in light of God's mission... Your mission gets wrapped up in what God is doing, in calling people from all over this world to himself, and God be praised even to his glory, your kids, that God, he doesn't promise that our kids will be saved, but he promises this, that he is a God who is compassionate and he is on the lookout to give people as an inheritance to his son, the servant, And our children are wrapped up in that mission. God is on the lookout. And what is your role in that mission? Your role is not to save your kids, but your role is to help them know this God who is reconciling the whole world and bringing it back under the authority of his son, Jesus. You can get really discouraged in down days, but you can give a word for Jesus in the context of an average day at home. You could sing songs about Jesus. You can bring their focus back to who Jesus is. And that's true for anybody here, wherever you are, you can speak a word to call people to consider that Jesus is the worthy one, that he's the one that is worth everything, and that even the, the horrible days that we feel sometimes at home and the trials and the challenges that we consider might just not be worth it. God redeems situations because He redeems people. And this is the reality to which you ought to be looking. View your mission as a mom not merely to raise successful kids, not merely to have kids who function well and get a good education and can make a difference in the world. Raise kids with the end game in mind and the mission of God to reconcile the world to himself as a gift to his son. And your role is to testify to the God who is and the God who loves and the God who continues to reach people. The mission of motherhood in the midst of all of life, is a mission to submit those moments that go in ways that you didn't expect and ways that you didn't want back to the Lord and say, this is all a part of the big picture of what you're doing, God. A big picture of what you are producing. So take this day in its difficulty. Take this day when I feel beaten down. Take this day and make it a part of the bigger, picture and help me to place it back under your authority so that you can be praised and we can be most happy. Right, this is your call. View your mission in light of God's mission. Likewise, God knows we need encouragement for this, so he encourages us with his love. And the call to you this morning is to view your love in light of God's love. We started with the statement of the servant And the next, we go to the statement of Zion, who are the people of God trapped in captivity by this point in the nation of Babylon. They have been taken away by force into Babylon, and they've been made to be servants there, and they've lost their privilege. They've lost their status, and they're wondering, okay, if God is saying this, and if the big picture is, Even from the beginning of Isaiah 49, that the coastlands and the islands and the nations of the world will be brought under the authority of this servant, well, it sure doesn't feel like that right now. And where we step in is verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Unlike the servant, they do not see the commitment of God and the covenant responsibility that God takes for them to love them and to provide for them and to care for them. You know, you could feel that way at times as well. In the midst of your circumstances, you might feel that God is very distant from you. As a matter of fact, one of the oldest lies that we learn way back in the Garden of Eden is that subtle lie that the devil Sewed into the first mother. And what he said is something that still, even in our hearts as Christians, as redeemed people, can penetrate and tempt us and we can feel the effects of it. The lie is this. Has God really said? In other words, Satan conveyed through that question, that subtle, sinister Question that God is holding out on you. I mean, doesn't your position, uh, think of the garden, doesn't your position, Eve, in this place, doesn't your position here, where God has said you can't do this, indicate that God is really not for you? God says he's loving and kind, but really he's mean and restrictive. This lie became embedded in the very hearts of all of the children of Eve. So much so that great theologians and pastors for centuries now have observed that even regeneration doesn't immediately remove this deep-seated suspicion of God. In other words, if you've ever felt that as a Christian, You may have been tempted to conclude that maybe you're not a Christian because you have that thought. On the one hand, it should be comforting to you to know even Christians are tempted and feel this deep-seated suspicion of God. Maybe he is not good. Maybe he can't be trusted. Now, this was the lie that the Jewish captives in Babylon chose to believe, They'd inherited it from their first mother, and every mother thereafter passed this on to her kids. It's a spiritual legacy that comes from the fall. And the difficulty in this point is that we have to reckon with those fears that grip us, and those fears are evidence still of the reality of fallenness in our own lives, in our homes, in our families. But notice how the true and living God responds even when his people descend into fundamental unbelief about his good nature. Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. God asks, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. You know, in these verses, God calls on what is perhaps the richest and most comforting expression of love and devotion that we know. The love of a mother. Some of the richest expression of love that we know is the love of a mother. Most of the time, not every time. When a kid gets a scrape, it's not dad that the kid runs to, but mom. I know I tend to have the reaction, "Uh, it's not bleeding much. You'll be all right. No, mom gets the Band-Aids, gets the soothing balm that can help. And a mom can make things better. Not to say, I'm not knocking dads here. Dads, get the Band-Aids. You know, humble yourselves a bit, um, but also call them to. Some, yeah, okay, well, let's just stick with moms here. <laughs> uh, amen. We know the general pattern. The general pattern is that mom will protect, nurture, and shower her child with affection. All right? You think of moms and moms of infants here, still dependent with those infants are on nursing. Can you imagine leaving your baby behind and forgetting her or him? Leaving him out exposed to the elements. Now, God knows that there have been parents trapped in sin who have forgotten their kids and even forgetful parents. I mean, have you ever left your kid behind at a store or, you know, maybe you moms here have that legacy, perhaps, of leaving your kid behind somewhere one time, and you were just, oh, you felt so bad. You went back and got them, got them back. Um, God's not speaking to that here this morning. He's saying that there is the occasion where you can have a bad mom. God admits that. So there's got to be something higher, a form of love that's higher. There's got to be a foundation that goes deeper, even than a mom. But when God reaches for the example of devoted love and compassion, that is a bedrock that people can stand on. He goes to the love of a mom. And God's not ashamed to identify himself with that kind of compassion. I'm not saying that God is a mom, but he's not ashamed to look at his creation, the women that he's created, and those who have born children as an example of that kind of protecting, nurturing love. It's still one of the greatest pictures to us. You know, when you see this passage as well, it says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. This is an indication in that time period of someone who would tattoo the names of their family to them or write the names of their children in places where they would never forget to be locked in to that reality of their love for their kids. But when you think about the context of the servant and what Jesus eventually did, he bore his hands and stretched them out on the cross so that they were pounded through with great spikes. And in that moment, to the fears that you and I feel, as his arms were stretched wide, He was expressing this love of God in a fuller, richer way than even a mother can do by saying, see what I do to take care of your sin, even your deep-seated suspicion of my father who himself loved you and sent me to die for you. This is the expression of love And forever he bears in his scar-pierced hands an inscription of his great love for his people. I can remember many times throughout my life experiencing deep discouragements and doubts. Doubts that the Father loves me, right? Like he says in Isaiah 49, 16. Um, This verse, Isaiah 49, 15, and 16, has been a deep, Encouragement to me, but it's also been something that I myself have doubted many, many times. It's this verse, though, where I think of the love of my mom that has pulled me back to God many times when I struggled, when I struggled early in life or later in life to think that God actually loves me. I experienced the hurt at an early age of my parents' divorce. And when my dad and mom went their separate ways, I went to live with my grandparents, who you've heard me share, some of you, this story before, who eventually adopted me to legally be their son. Now, I had a really hard time connecting with a loving Heavenly Father. And I'd often go with my doubts and fears to my mother, the grandmother who had adopted me. Although she was not my birth mother, I saw through many, many experiences that she was committed to me with an unbreakable bond that she chose to take on. She would listen to my doubts, but she would always point me back to the loving Heavenly Father. I noticed that she didn't always have answers for my doubts because I think I'm really clever with my doubts sometimes. And the clear statement of Scripture just for some reason doesn't seem to apply to me. But my mom was patient, loving, committed to me, and promised that she would be there for me no matter what. And a big part of the reason why I could finally see with more clarity the, the joy and the love of God for me was because of the joy and love of my mom for me. The truth of this statement in Isaiah 49, that God, who truly has no limits, unlike my mother, who obviously had limits, could love me with perfection. And in the reality of his character, which is right and just, And true. I learned this week about another man who had a similar experience. He was a 20th century theologian and Westminster Seminary founder. His name was J. Gresham Machen. He almost denied the truth of the Bible when he was a student in a theologically liberal seminary in Germany back in the 1930s. He spent time among very devout scholars who denied the resurrection of Jesus yet acted with such humility that to Machen they seemed more Christian than the strict faith-keeping parents and believers that he had known growing up. Yet they denied that Jesus had come in the flesh. He was very confused by this, but Machen respected his mother, whose name was Minnie, so much that he wrote to her expressing this inner turmoil that he felt being pulled away from the Christian roots that she had raised him in, that she had taught him about. And I learned much by Minnie's response to her son's doubts. Um, She herself was anxious over what he was experiencing, didn't know which way he was going to go. But because she was rooted in scripture, she knew better than to panic or to give in to fear or anger about her son. And she instead relied on the grace of God. She chose to provide him with comfort and steadfast love. She wrote to him, One thing I can assure you of, that nothing you could do could keep me from loving you. Nothing. It is easily enough to grieve me. Perhaps I worry too much. But my love for my boy is absolutely indestructible. Rely on that, whatever comes. And I have faith in you too, and believe that the strength will come to you for your work, whatever it may be, and that the way will be opened. Machen received his mother's encouragement, and he went on back to the loving arms of God as a result of his mother's encouragement and others who helped him to know to walk in the truth. And this is what I want to encourage you moms here with this morning. Don't give up on your sons or daughters. There is a bond that you have that will remain, and I would encourage you to love and to stay committed to your kids and to help them. This doesn't mean that you don't take a stand for truth, that you don't speak the truth in love, but your connection to your own child can be a source of help to them to come back to and to know the Master and the Redeemer who loves them. So stick with it and be encouraged. There is a theologian who wrote this one time, John Owen. He said, I, the Father, as love. It's kind of a weird way of saying, keep looking at the Father, and when you look at the Father, see love. He says, look not on him, As an always dark and threatening father, but as one most kind and tender. Let us look on him by faith, as one that has had thoughts of kindness toward us, of everlasting. These guys back in the 1700s had a poetic way of speaking, but it's rich and true. I, the Father, as love. If you think of one thing when you think of the Father, to help you and to minister to you, see him as love. God is love. He is many things. But in this text, he is calling you to know his identity as love and not to run away, not to conclude he doesn't care, not to allow your circumstances to speak, but to view your love in light of God's love. And finally, friends, something that I think all of us need to hear this morning is this. This text speaks to us all that we need to view our family, view your family in light of God's family. Verses 21 and following start this way. It's another statement. There's many, it's like a dialogue that happens in this text. It starts with the servant of the Lord speaking out of his experience and saying, here I am. I have come to do God's will. This is what God responds and says to him. The nation is called to rejoice about that, but they conclude God's forgotten us. God responds to that. And then now he comes to a prophecy about what will happen in the future. He's promised that lots of people will return from captivity. Actually, so many that they'll lose track of where they all came from or who they all belong to. In verse 21 It says this, Then you will say in your heart, Who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? In this third saying, we hear the wonder of a Jewish mother marveling that she was barren, but now has a house full of kids. Imagine going home after church and finding 50 kids waiting on you. (laughs) You'd certainly ask, among other things, where did all these kids come from? You'd soon need a larger house just to hold them all. All So the feeling in this text is one of full houses of kids who suddenly appeared and you don't know where they came from. What's the interpretation of this? Well, one is that these are children born to Jewish mothers in captivity, And that they would someday return to Israel in droves. But this never happened. The vast majority of Jews chose to remain in Babylon when the option to return was presented. So who are all these kids? The key is in verse 22. Isaiah 49 verse 22 says this. Let's look at that. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations, and raise my signal to the peoples, they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. What does this mean? The reality of God's family is this, that God multiplies his family, not by natural birth, but by supernatural rebirth. There is a family that is of higher importance than even your immediate family, because on the one hand, your immediate family is bound together by blood, but even that is temporary. On the other hand, when all covenant relationships are found in Jesus Christ and based on relationship to him, suddenly even your natural relationships can transcend into a different level altogether and suddenly be supernatural and based on eternity and will last for eternity. John Piper once said about this, relationships based on family are temporary. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. So God lifts up, in verse 22, his signal to the peoples. In another translation, it says banner. It's like God lifts up his flag and says to the nations all around him, come home, come back to me, come to my loving embrace. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. Come, all nations of the world. All peoples from a faraway place come back to the loving embrace of God. This is the call of God. And how does he do this? He does this by his servant. Jesus is his signal. Jesus is his banner. Jesus himself said, unless I myself am lifted up, (laughs) the nations won't come. But Jesus knew that to appeal And to lift up that banner high, the nations would come to him. And family could grow for God based not on having children within the covenant, but on coming by faith and being born again. There is something that is higher in value than even your own relationship to your children. I want to explain what Jesus said in Mark 10, He said this, verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. The great blessing of God's family, no matter who you are here this morning, whether you are a mother by natural rights and you have your own children, or whether you've never been able to have kids, whether you're single here this morning, we're all wrapped up in something much bigger than one individual family, as blessed and as good and as precious as our families are. And the reality is, if you submit your family, even the great value of having family union, having family structure, having family connections that are tight, if you don't place Jesus first, none of that matters. It will all burn up. But if you put Jesus first and place your priorities under his, If you worship him, if you serve him as the rightful king of your families, it might even divide families. It could cause you to say, I I worship Jesus and I follow him. That might make families even break apart and make it extremely difficult to continue to identify, even as a family on earth, many families have been broken apart because of Jesus Christ. There is a value higher than family. And that value is the family of God in Christ. So in wrapping up and concluding, let's think about a few things. Let's say this morning that you are a Christian mother with an estranged child. You have a child that is not following Jesus. You have a, a child that you know, does not make time for you. Or Jesus, because the two of you are too closely aligned. You know, I was encouraged by the story of Christopher Yuen. He wrote a story a long time ago, his own biography called, autobiography, called From a Far Country. Um, Christopher Yuen and his mother Angela, his dad, his brother, all came from Taiwan, moved to the United States, hoped to establish a successful dentist business. Christopher's dad was a dentist. Christopher's mom placed so much of her hope in what would happen through her sons. Well, the first son decided he wanted nothing to do with it and it went his own way and all of the hope rested on Christopher. Christopher could no longer keep a secret that he'd been holding on to and he shared with his mom these words, words that she said destroyed her reality and hopes. He said, Mom, I'm gay. Angela was so destroyed by that that she actually planned to take her own life. Her conclusion was: my hope for a family legacy, done. My hope for a successful, you know, honorable home, that's done. So her only conclusion was: if I can't get that in this life after all that I've worked for, then. I'll just take my own life. Thankfully, in the providence of God, he directed Angela to talk to a chaplain in a ministry. Why she did that, she doesn't even know. But as an unbeliever, she encountered the gospel, and on the way to visit her son at school, she read the Bible and got saved. And when she had planned to see her son, she planned to tell him all that he was doing wrong and how he ruined her life, and then she was going to go kill herself. But by the time she got there, She just told her son, I love you no matter what. She didn't know the next thing to do, but she did know that she ought to pray and she ought to read the Bible. So that's what she started to do. And she began to pray that God would break her son of anything that would grip him and keep him away from him. She even went to the dean of the school where he was at when Christopher was failing because he had been going out partying too much and getting into drugs. And Angela told the dean i would rather that my son come to know jesus christ than to pass this course and to get a successful career and that made christopher angry he went with full force into the lifestyle that he chose and became a big wig organizing parties getting into drugs selling drugs Until ultimately, the prayers of his mother that God would do anything that it took to reach him, even separate him from the friends and support structure that he'd put together. When the feds showed up at Christopher's door, his friends all ran away. And he was jailed, tried and jailed for six years. And he reached out to his mom for the first time in years and said, Mom, I'm in jail. And her her response was, praise the Lord. For years, she had been praying. She'd even turned an old shower that was not used in their home into a prayer closet, putting up notes and requests and Bible verses and spending hours and hours praying. She'd even fasted for 39 days once and called others to pray and fast with her for her son. While while in prison, he found a Bible in the trash can and started reading it, found a note when he was transferred to another prison cell in the bottom of the bunk that said, if you're <laughs> if you're bored, read this scripture, and it's a promise in Jeremiah. And he read it and thought, maybe this is true. Long story short, he got saved. And Angela is, continues to be his biggest prayer support and travels with him wherever he goes. He's out of jail now, went back to Bible college, and teaches at Moody Bible Institute. Long story short to say this, Learn from Angela that God is working in the midst of whatever pain you might feel as a Christian mom with a kid who seems to be far from God. This isn't a promise that God will save your child. But it is a promise that God is able. That's the weight of the scripture. God is able to do these things. Do you trust him? Do you talk to him about it with those whom you love? If you're married or single with no kids here today, It might feel like a huge burden when you have to come to a Mother's Day sermon and mothers have made a big deal out of. And I want to encourage you with something here this morning. Whether through life circumstances or the current state of human limitations, and you never know what God will do, you might find yourself barren. The startled cry, though, of the mother in verse 21, where did all these kids come from? I who was barren? It points to the reality of God gathering in people to the local church as one fulfillment of his intended purposes and family. The people are coming into the church, and when they come in, your role is that of a mother, a sister and a mother to people who come in and to love them. A question to you, you may not have kids of your own at this stage, but those who are around you, do you love them? Do you seek to impart to them the joy and the love of Christ? Do you invest? Do you have that time to see that your family is bigger than you perhaps originally thought? And for those who are married today, mothers with Christian children, it's a blessing. Blessings are yours today. In this double way that they belong to you by birth, but secondly, they belong to God by rebirth. And if anyone is here today who does not know Christ in that way, you may have come here as a mom or you may have come here to honor your mom. But this can be the day for you to know the God who loves you. To know the God who's on mission to get you. And the God who wants you in his family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for Even this chapter in Isaiah that resonates and reminds us that this is true, that that even even now there are things in there that are relevant to us because we have a Savior who identifies with us, a God who, who loves us, and a family that is now our forever family. I pray for your blessing on all moms today, that they would see their lives in light of this great reality And that you would continue to bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.